podcast. We're going to talk about learning how to describe your team and your league as accurately as possible and what it takes to win. And joining me to do that is the Director of Research and Analytics at the University of Akron, Rich Worso. Rich, great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So you guys will hear right away that uh, Rich uh, has a little bit of uh, an accent, a dialect, and it's not from Alabama. It's from England. Uh, Rich was born and raised in England, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story and how he got to the United States. But Rich, for you, uh, you know, this has been a different path than most of the guests that I talked to on the podcast. I want to say maybe other than one other coach, you're the first uh, foreign-born coach that I've had on the podcast. But for you, where did this passion for football develop in the U.K.? I mean, it's it's a crazy journey that I've I've led over the last twenty thirty years. So um, I was ten or eleven years old, and and uh, all my friends come into school one day and I'm like, "Hey, we're playing American football. You want to come play?" And I'm like, "Yeah, great. What the heck is American football?" <laughs> and uh, we went along, and the local like American coach had moved to the town and was was coaching everybody up and it just there was so much energy and enthusiasm it was it was infectious and it just I think it's one of those lightning in a bottle things you just experience something at the right age and you just become passionate about it and uh, a few years later our team folded uh, and I was like 15 didn't have a place to play so I talked my parents into us starting our own team and uh, we entered the National League and we had a, a coach we hired for a season and then after the season he left well, we still wanted to play, so did the only thing a rational 16-year-old could do and, and become the head coach. So um, played and coached and wrote playbooks in the off-season and um, recorded uh, on VHS tapes the televised games that we'd get every Sunday and had a probably a collection of like 100 videotapes with film on it that I would just sit there and watch and write plays down all off-season. And, and I guess that's kind of where my initial passion for film and, and football and everything came into and then went to college in, in England and uh, actually in Wales wanted to uh, come to the States but couldn't figure out how to do it but I graduated was working for an investment company doing offshore brokering which sounds way more exciting than it was and uh, came home one day and, and again spoke to my family and was like you know I, I really want to coach football it's uh it's what I love to do. I, I miss, you know, spending as much time as I can on it uh, when I'm at work. And they, they really encouraged me. So I started applying for jobs. And, and actually at that point, I had to fax my resume all over the place. So I was, we had a fax machine at the house and I was faxing resumes all across the U.S. And eventually got lucky with a, a GA spot at a D3 school in Wisconsin at Lakeland College and and went there in 2003 with the idea of, Let's, let's see this for two years, see how we go. And and now I'm I'm still here and, and call uh, America home. Well, I know one thing you mentioned to me, and if we could back it up a little bit, uh, you definitely had an interest and aptitude for math as well. Both of your parents uh, were educators, math teachers. And uh, for a while, it, it was uh, that looked like something maybe you would do because you, uh, you scored very highly in the math area. If you could talk to us about just that side of it and how much that plays into what you're doing today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're right. Both, both parents were math teachers growing up. Um, and so I, in, 
you know, when we weren't in school, they were in there planning for lessons and stuff. I'd be in there trying to help and, and, and do different things, you know, and I just assumed, Hey, I'm going to be a math teacher like them. I finished uh, a levels and, and graduated in the uh, top 2% in the country in mathematics and um, had a, a pretty natural aptitude. My mom was really gifted at mathematics um, and, and then went to college and then realized that computer science, software engineering was really the application of mathematics, like computer programming and, and, and that aspect carried a lot of mathematics. So um, I ended up switching over to computing and then wrote my dissertation on the real-time analysis of uh, American football game, which was kind of, you know, that's 2002. I'm writing code about breaking down games during a game. Um, and then after I graduated, I actually got an opportunity to intern in NFL Europe. And uh, I'm up there in season and I remember the coordinator and head coach trying to figure out how to do a self scout. And I brought my laptop up and was like, well, I'll give it a go. And uh, the next morning turned up with a whole self scout and those guys were kind of blown away by it. But um, it was kind of like my first foray into like, you know, professional kind of realm of it really. And when you look at that now, I mean, you were a division three coach and division three schools don't have analytics departments, but, um, you know, in, in talking to you before we got going, there was still a, an approach for you uh, where you did look at kind of the data, the math, some of the things that um, you could be able to um, start to extract from watching film, from looking at breakdowns that have been an important part of this um, for every every part of uh, your career, all your stops along the way. Talk to us about your approach and how how did that really become part of what you do you know, in all those different roles you've served in? Yeah, it, to me, it, it started becoming more and more relevant to me when I was at the University of Laverne as the offensive coordinator. Uh, I started realizing, you know, you know, you start off and we're a multiple offense, so we can get in and out of most personnel groups and most formations within them. You know, what formation should I be in? So I would start looking at our opponents to see which formations they allowed the most yardage, which plays were, you know, which formations were the most efficient for their opponents, like, you know, which, you know, helped the ball move and get first downs. And that's where I would start the game plan often was, okay, these formations they tend to, to struggle in. Um, so then it was, you know, leading the conversation for me is like, okay, I, I got to find what my top two or three formations are. And I'd start looking at those. Um, and then within that, it's, you know, what personnel do they struggle with? You know, if they're giving up, you know, two yards more per play in 11 personnel than, than 10 personnel, then why is that? Um, you know, what, what plays are they seeing differently? Or if it's the same plays, um, you know, what personnel should I be in? Should I be in two by two, three by one? And sometimes it was contrary to what I kind of believed about a team was, you know, I should be in three by one this game, but really mathematically it was, it was coming out as I should be in two by two and make them defend both halves of the field. Um, so that kind of really started guiding us. And I know any of the, the guys that played for me or coached for me at that point can attest that every Monday or Tuesday I'd, I'd pull out a 10 page stat packet that I'd been through and every formation and, and everything had been number crunched to kind of give us the best odds to try and, uh, you know, attack people. And, and I think there was a run in conference where 
essentially we'd get to halftime and figure out what our best formation was and, and just live in that formation the entire second half. And there was, we're playing Occidental. Um, and I think we ran the same play out of the same formation. I think it was 22 plays in a row in the second half. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, we're playing Redlands and we got into the same formation around the same play, I think 23 times in a row. Um, now with it being RPO, the ball could go different spots, but you kind of were narrowing the focus all the time. And then in the game, you know, you went in with a few different ideas of things that you felt were going to be good. And, and then mathematically, you just kind of followed them through into a formation. You felt like they maybe had very limited answers to what you could do offensively. And you were already hopefully putting your guys in the best possible situation through plays, personnel and formations. And that's all just based off the stats we would try and get from those guys um, you know, when we're game planning for them. I think when you look at the heart of, of what analytics can do, and there was something important uh, you mentioned in there, is it, it gives you a, a place to start to ask questions, um, that there still is you know, the human side of this that you need to look into. So uh, while it may say you know, they're being hurt the most, maybe on this side of a formation, et cetera, you still have to look at and match some of your personnel with it. Um, but I think, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things, as I mentioned in the beginning of, of this podcast that, you know, you, I wrote it down cause you said it and I think it, it accurately is, uh, depicts what it is, is that it helps you describe your team in the league as accurately as possible and what it takes to win. And, um, you know, I think we get caught in, uh, thinking we know all the right answers, but sometimes, and I think when you can take an analytics approach, it, it uh, maybe maybe takes you out of the box of, of uh, some of the, the common thinking. For example, and one thing we mentioned before we got going, you know, thinking that you have to run plays uh, to both sides of, of the formation. If you run the play right, you need to flip it over and be able to go to the left as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you're right. I mean, it, going back to your, your first comment there, uh, you're going to always be curious as a coach. You're watching film and you're going to have hunches of like, hey, I don't think they could stop this. Well, the analytics piece should be able to come in and support you there and say, no, they, they really struggle with that. Or yes, they're really actually good at defending that. But on the flip side, it should give you as much questions as you as you get answers and, and be like, hey, this formation with this play has cropped up in four different games and it's averaged 12 yards per attempt like what is going on with that let's just go in the film and look so you should be answering questions with the with the you know the math and then you should be creating questions you can kind of go back and look at the film and and get answers to them and when you're kind of doing that that curiosity usually comes up with a pretty comprehensive view of your opponent and then i think the math will enable you to kind of look at your own team you know and see how they're doing to look at your opponents, to, to compare different teams in your league to each other. And, and that's really what it's about is every league that I've coached in has had a different feeling. You know, some teams, you know, like the, the Pac-12 is, you know, for a while was uh, pretty diverse offensively. You know, you had Stanford who were two back and you had some other spread teams, but they looked very different than the Big Ten who, you know, Wisconsin and, and uh you know, these sort of schools were, were going to be bigger personnel and, and try and run the football at you. So 
trying to understand the ins and outs of your league, what what you know is effective in your league, what the top formations are, what the personnels are, you know, statistically how you rank outside of just the things you get from the stat sheet, like how many first downs, like, you know, how efficient your running game is compared to everybody else in the league. And then that helps you set a bar of like, okay, the top team in the league, um, you know, did, you know, was this percentage balanced, whereas you're this percentage balanced. So maybe you need to tweak things. Uh, After our 2014 season at Laverne, I remember uh, we we felt like we moved the ball really well all year. I think we were one of the top 20 teams or so in yards per game, but our points per game was not matching up for what I thought. So we went and looked, and um, and what we found was our red zone touchdown percentage was was significantly below everybody else. And so we had thrown, I think, 60% passes and 40% run in the red zone. And we looked at the top teams in the country, and uh, they were the opposite of that. So in the 15 season, the idea was get the ball in the red zone and run it into the end zone. And all of a sudden in that league, you know, we started doing that and we finished first in the league in scoring, first in the league, you know, rushing touchdowns. And, and we were first in the league in red zone because we just flipped that percentage based off the research we did the, the previous year. And instead of being a, an average team, you know, we went undefeated that year. So that was a direct reflection of the just looking at basic numbers the year before and, and making some subtle changes in play calling. Um, and it kind of stemmed into our philosophy as well at that point. Covering the second part of that, and just remind you here, you know, you mentioned to me that that idea of, you know, kind of in in the example you used, that you don't have to run a play to the right and then flip it over and run it to the left. You may only have a, a play that should be practiced and run a certain way. How did, How have you been able to determine those types of things? Yeah, I think, um, you know, with with your strengths as an offense, uh, you know, if your left tackle is your best player on, on the offensive line um, and you're tracking your your run game efficiencies and you're seeing, hey, we're a couple of percentage higher, maybe we're averaging more yardage running it to the left than to the right, then when it's a critical situation, those four or five, you know, points during the game, it's a, it's a fourth and goal, it's a third and one, it's a first and 10 and you need to get a good play then you know put push the needle in your favor and, and run the ball to the left behind your your best guy i mean th- there would be plays that we would rep one way and not rep the other way because we knew we wouldn't call them the other direction and, and i think you see it you know even in the nfl now with with the dolphins when they went with a tour quarterback and they're running naked but only to his left because he's a left-handed quarterback. They're not trying to make him run to the right and throw and get his hips around. So, you know, that awareness of your offense, of your strengths and weaknesses, and then you try and match that, you know, with your opponent. So if the other side of the ball is their weakness, then maybe some tackle unbalance comes into your game plan that week and you get your, your best blocker on their weaker side. Um, and then you're again pushing the needle a couple percentage points in your favor in terms of of converting in those situations. And I think everyone is always afraid of, you know, what if they know it's coming? Well, good teams have tendencies. I mean, everybody's played that team that was going to run a play, and you knew it was coming, and and you couldn't stop it. Well, 
at some point it's got to come down to that. Um, I don't think you can always, it used to drive me nuts at least, try and, you know, they're expecting this and now I'm going to run this other play that we're not as good at because I think it's going to be better than the play that we are really good at. And, and I never had much success with that, but um, I think knowing your strengths, knowing their weaknesses and then matching them up wherever you can with directional play calls, just it just makes sense to me. And just watching games and, and observing, I'm seeing, uh, I can definitely tell some teams that use uh, analytics to determine what they're going to do in certain situations, to determine um, what their mode of attack is going to be. Uh, I know looking back on, on this, and you know, you and I are in, in Northeast Ohio, this past NFL season and watching the Browns, uh, in several games, you could tell there was a point where uh, they made a determination that we can play a very, very conservative game plan right now, uh, not throw the ball down the field or do anything, you know, from a, a perspective where it would be, you know, risky ball handling, et cetera. And, you know, we may not make fans happy, but we're going to end up winning this, this game because of the point differential and the time left on the clock that we may only, you know, we may be up by four touchdowns now. But we can we know at the very worst we're going to win by three or something like that, right? And I've seen mm-hmm. that you know Browns as an example. Um, you know a lot of the the teams now that you'll see you know farther out than normal distance going for it on fourth down, uh, the go for two decisions, um, and even it came up twice in a single weekend. Uh, I had very rarely seen it, but uh, the decision to give up a touchdown late in the game to be able to mm-hmm. get the ball back. And it, and I think it was Indiana won the game doing that. And then on Sunday, I believe, uh, I believe it was the Detroit Lions, I think, were the ones who ended up uh, – it paid off for them. But, you know, both teams gave up touchdowns. So you see now more and more people paying attention to analytics. Uh, so there's a lot, right? When we look at this, it can get overwhelming. What recommendations do you have in – being able to get started with this, uh, regardless of what level you're at, to be able to make that impact on your program. Yeah, I think when you're first starting with it, uh, you you want to try and be able to measure your team's success. Uh, you want to try and measure your, your other team's uh, weakness, your opponent's weakness. And then, you know, that aside, which helps you game plan, the bigger picture stuff that you can work on in the off season is like, you know, looking at the two point chart in detail and, and really exploring that. There's some unique ones that happen. So like you're trailing 14 points, for example, and you score a touchdown. So now you're trailing eight points. Well, most two point charts say kick the PAT and then continue to play and, and score and kick it again. And, and you're tying the game. But, in reality, if you try and go for two there uh, and you're successful, now you can score a touchdown and and uh, and kick a PAT and win the game. And if you're unsuccessful, then you go for two again at the end of the game to tie it and uh, and take it into overtime or, or whatever. But, you know, I think you can have a discussion and do the math in the offseason when you have time to, to really talk about situations like that, like, you know, like you were talking about earlier, like if you're leading on someone by 28 points and it's, you know, four possessions and there's six minutes left in the game, the odds are even if you give up touchdowns really quickly, 
there's probably not enough time for them to score four touchdowns. Now, I'm sure somebody out there has scored four touchdowns in six minutes. You know, it's happened less than 1% of times. But, you know, playing the odds the majority of the time, you're, you're going to walk out of there with a win. So it's anything that you kind of make assumptions about, it's going back and revisiting why did you make those assumptions and, and trying to understand you know, all the aspects that go in and out of making those decisions, go for going for on fourth down, like, you know, you know, some schools have all these different charts and, and, uh, and different things, but, um, you know, it, it, you can have a consistent chart the whole year through and just be able to make decisions every week that are consistent about where is it on the field? We're going to go for on fourth down, you know, what's the distance we feel comfortable about, um, and those basic things in those different areas will kind of make a big difference for you in terms of making critical decisions and having given a lot of thought to those. And then, you know, the other part of it we touched on earlier, just understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. So as your play callers can put your kids in the best positions to, you know, to play to their strengths. So at this time of the year, I know you guys are going into to spring ball, but the off season in in looking at your team's strengths and trying to help from your perspective, uh, the offensive staff, let's say, put together uh, their their playbook, their menu of plays that they're going to choose from. Uh, how much do you get involved in that in, in the offseason? And, and again, what, uh, what are some of the applications that teams could do right now to get started with something like this? Yeah, it's uh... – you know, pretty fortunate being at a Division One school to have a, a really good offensive defensive staff. So I, I try to not make it my position to to go in and tell them what plays or you know what they should be running. That's you know that's their job. But what I do try and do is is find situations that maybe we don't practice enough that we could dedicate more time to to practicing and, and the benefit of them would be this that you know if we have one more yard in these situations i think it will equate to more points because of this so um that's we tend to talk a lot more about situational stuff um like today for example we're working a, a spreadsheet based off of the mac averages how many snaps of every situation should we run in spring ball so it's like you know do we have too many first and template calls do we have too few second and long play calls? What do the MAC averages look like? How do we line up relative to those? So trying to put those numbers together helps us in spring ball and helps us in full camp, ensuring that we've really repped every situation that could happen and that we've given thought to those situations and that we've been in them and run them with our players so they're, they're not kind of you know caught off guard by those situations. Um, and that's where this, the, the pure numbers help you align as like, you know, are we a typical team in terms of our averages or are we, you know, different than the Mac? You know, does, is the Mac different this way or that way? Um, and, and again, for me, it's all about understanding the Mac and, and, and the league you're in. Uh, I think with most teams having huddle, you know, when you finish with an opponent, you can export the data into a spreadsheet. So you have access to that in the off season and you can go in and look and be like, how many first and 10 plays does this other team that we aspire to be, you know, average a game? How many second and short and medium and long? And, and pretty quickly with Excel, you can start calculating that stuff and, 
and then it helps you working back and scripting and and planning all that stuff you know you may have a hundred ways to run your base run but you know you, you may not have that many snaps to run it when you kind of crunch the numbers backwards so um that's where i kind of try and fit in uh when we do scouting reports in season if i see formations or personnel that i think are good then often i kind of try and you know point that out um if it's something really obvious but that's usually where our coaches kind of can start with the game planning is looking at those formations and personnel first and then kind of going on from there. So for you as, as a, a guy, whether it's been in a particular role like you are in now or having been, you know, offensive coordinator uh, before, you know, in crunching the numbers, what's something that's come up in your career that you were surprised to find, uh, whether that was a particular year or uh, maybe uh, something generalized across football? Oh, um, <laughs> go on. I'm trying to think. All right. You know, it's just weird. Sometimes you, you kind of have feelings about stuff, but you know, one of the things we've been talking about recently is, you know, your first play of a drive, if it's above five yards, you know, the percentage of times you score on that drive is, is something like 60%. But if it's below five yards, you're scoring maybe 30% of the time. So that just first play of the you know, drive is so important to get you off and going. Um, you know, and I don't think, you know, as a play caller in the past, I ever really thought about what 14 plays I wanted to open my drives, you know, 13 plays I needed to open the drives. But it seems to be such a, you know, relevance across the board for teams that, you know, that first play of a drive is, is hugely impactful on the whole success of the drive. So, you know, therefore I would be, you know, trying to make everybody, Hey, have a plan for the first half, your seven best plays that you want to open drives with. And then at halftime, if you get nothing else done after your adjustments, then sit down and, and think of the plays you want to open your next drives with. Then I, I think that would pay dividends for you because it, you know, puts you in second and convertible or, or you have a first down just, keep stuff for that situation so that kind of surprised me you know even 20 years in just you know you crunch the numbers and you start looking at these things you're like wow that's that's really different than i anticipated yeah that's a, a significant difference when you talk about you know double the, doubling the chance of of scoring in a, a particular drive that you know and i could think back to and we started to to be more defined about uh you know, how we're going to open drives, et cetera, and a lot of, of planning, always planning between series. But, you know, I think very, being very intentional about spending time putting that together on your call sheet, you know, that a lot of guys like to call it P10 or possession in 10, but those drive openers mm -hmm. rather than just our first down plays, making that distinction on your call sheet and really understanding that probably is something that uh, a lot of people can do better. I know looking back on it, I, I definitely could have could have been better at that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd dread to think now if I went back and looked at my uh, LeBron tapes, what my, you know, plays were were, were like there. I, I bet the games we played pretty well, they were a good selection of plays, and the play games we struggled, maybe it, it wasn't. So it's it's things like that. The more you can be educated about, you know, things like that, and especially then you're playing teams, and you're like, man, if this first play of a drive is good, they're going to score 70% of the time. But if we can stone them here, 
it goes down to 20%, say, like you get a team that's really extreme, then that becomes a huge part of your game plan that week, just understanding that one statistic that you'd kind of calculated. And um, so that kind of surprised me. And it's something we're still continuing to look at. Like, then the questions become, what are the, the best plays to run to open a drive, like in, in all of football? So now you're trying to take a collection of teams and, and, and look at their plays and, and see what it is they do. Coach, when you look at you know your aspect of, of getting the job done, what are some of your favorite tools or pieces of technology or things you would recommend to uh, guys out there looking to get more into the analytics side of things? Well, I think the stuff that most people have access to is is probably the simplest, like Microsoft Excel and Microsoft Access, you know, or any spreadsheet that you have or, uh, you know, any kind of database. The amount of power those things have is, is pretty significant with with grouping and cross-tabbing and, uh, you know, filtering and, and gathering different data points. I mean, that's in, inevitably every time something we're working on, we're going to take the data out of our video system and, and put it into a spreadsheet and start messing around with it a little bit, you know, try and find things that are significant that then you can go back and make cut-ups of and, and study afterwards. So I think if you've never used Excel, going on there and, and copying a game out of huddle or whatever system you use, putting it in there and, and being like, okay, let's, let's grade every play and efficient or inefficient based on how many yards it got towards the first down. Uh, and start filtering it. Okay, let's see first and ten. Let's look at P and ten, um, and and pretty quickly you can start getting a, a good picture of your opponent and, and your own team as well. So I think those are are, are really powerful. Um, and then I know in Huddle, at least when I used it last, the the reports feature can do some of those aspects. Um, if you make columns that can kind of aid you um, in putting data in. Coach, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the the data side of this, the analytics side, the numbers. But, you know, when you look back at uh, your career and everything you, you've done as a coach and you did have a, a lot of success in your time as a, a coordinator, what's the one thing you'd point to, the thing you do as a coach that really gives your guys the winning edge? Um, I think it's, it's uh, to an extent, as a coach, you're a salesman and not like a car salesman sense, but you're trying to sell them the idea that your your vision for offensively or defensively, what you're trying to do gives them the best chance to win. And and whatever game plan it is you're trying to put in or whatever is day one install, you want to really sell them on why those things are unstoppable if you execute them. Um, and, and so I think when you can do that, and you can get your guys to play really hard. And I, I think I've had a lot of players through the years and, and they have played really hard for us. Um, that 2015 Laverne team had the smallest offensive line in our league. Yeah, we led the league in rushing that year and, and about every different category in offense. Um, I, I just think when you can sell them the, and they all believe in it, um, then they'll play really hard for you. And when you, when you show them you care, and and that's kind of the whole thing, really. Coach, what's the best way for coaches who are listening to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, I'm on both. Coaches can connect. I'm I'm open, so if, if 
they want to email me or D- DM me on Twitter or hit me up on Facebook, then, uh, you know, I usually kind of give my phone number out and people start calling me. So happy to do anything. Coach, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at coach underscore Wurzel, W-O-R-S-E-L-L. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and talking about uh, analytics and research and some of the other things that popped up here in this conversation. Best of luck to you and University of Akron in 2021. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.